When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Another episode of Little More Good coming at you. Really excited today for this conversation we had it's an awesome one um part of the planted expo conversations we had so uh yeah a few months back the steven and the team from the planted expo brought a bunch of amazing speakers and people through the city and we were able to catch up with with some of them and we're going to release them as podcasts uh one you've already heard with ali tabrizi of seaspiracy and today we are so excited to talk with Dr. Pamela Ferguson. She's an amazing person. She was one of the keynote speakers for the weekend. And she talked all about raising vegan kids and vegan families and just like introducing plants and vegetables as part of your regular diet and getting our kids to just eat more plants and be be healthy, happy little people. And I am so excited because I am joined by one happy, healthy little people that is super important to me. Who am I here with? Naya. Naya. Who are you, Naya? Tell the people. I'm Diener's dad. <laughs> I'm, I'm your dad. You're my daughter. Yeah, my oldest daughter, Naya. So I got her to jump on the pod here. Zach, uh, Zach is spending some time with his family. We're, we're kind of doing the summer rhythm thing. So I figured I'd rope in, you know, an even better co-host. <laughs> Sorry, Zach. But I got Naya here with me today. And we're going to talk about, uh, well, okay, let's talk about what are we eating for supper tonight. It's on the stove even as we're recording this. So, so you get a peek into um, podcast life here. What um, are we going to have for night for, for supper? We're going to have tofu, cauliflower, and sweet chili sauce. Yeah, over, what do we put it on? Some delicious basmati rice. One of our favorites. So simple, so easy. What do we also, what's another like easy go-to one that we like to make that you girls always ask for? It's got tofu, it's got chickpeas and lentils. Curry. Yeah, we make like a nice creamy curry, a, a chickenless butter chicken. It's a good one, right? Mm-hmm. Good fuel for a little swimmer. Naya's a Naya's a, a rapid swimmer, and she swims like so fast. It's amazing. I'm faster than you. It's true. It's true. She's faster than me. Probably all those all those uh, 
chickpeas that you eat, hey? Speedy beans, we call them around here. Joel believes that. <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty good. We're chilling. Summer break, but we still got lots of podcasts coming out because we know lots of you are traveling. You're home with your kids. Maybe you're, maybe you're making your kids listen to a little more good, um, but it's wonderful. Wherever you go, if you're traveling, um, hopefully, hopefully you take us with us and uh, take us with you and, and uh, listen along. But yeah, so excited for today's conversation. We kind of dive into, like I say, raising um, vegan kids. Dr. Pamela Ferguson is an incredible athlete as well, runner, cyclist, um, you talk about like veganism for beginners. Um, man, her IG, her Instagram is an amazing resource too. So be sure to check her out there. And uh, as I say, we're grateful to Stephen and the whole Planted team for uh, making the connection, the introduction to Pamela uh, and us. And we're just all, all honestly so grateful for her and her time and how she shared um, so much and, and so generously with us about how to how to raise not only uh, happy, healthy little kids, but also adults as well so lots of takeaways in this one enjoy Naya any any final words or wisdom or anything you want to say to the people before we sign off I have a weird little sister named Joelle she's got she's got a little sister named Joelle all right well peace enjoy the episode bye bye all right all right we're sitting here with Dr. Pamela Ferguson Hello. Yes. Hello, hello. Well, Thank you for making time to be with us this weekend. Thank you. It's so exciting to be here. Yeah. yeah. Welcome from the, the beautiful nature of Nelson, BC. Yeah. Made the trek down. That's uh, right. My daughter Fern and I came. So, oh, you guys came together. Yeah. That's Fern awesome. came with me in the car and she's super excited to hear me speak today. And she's asked if she can come up on stage with me for the question period. Amazing. So I'm really excited about that. I hope some people will have some good questions for her and I hope she'll feel comfortable to jump in and give her perspective too as a plant-based kid. How, so how old is Fern? She's 12. She's just turned 12. Amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Amazing. And has Fern always been uh, plant-based herself? No, we transitioned our kids to being plant-based when I think Fern was probably about three I don't remember exactly yeah. but like three to four something like that and we took a long time we took a year to transition our kids yeah. to being fully plant-based uh, I went vegan first and then my husband at the time were no longer together but um, then he did and then we're like okay we're gonna start this journey with the kids and uh, we went slowly um, and wanted to make sure things were going at their pace and that they were comfortable but it all went really well and yeah um I have four children and uh, my eldest Bly is 19 and then uh, Cedar is nearly 18, Willow's almost 16 and Fern just turned 12. And they're on a, like a spectrum in terms of how they feel about plant-based eating. Um, my eldest works as a chef now in Toronto and he loves plant-based food but he doesn't exclusively eat plant-based when he's home like he loves eating my food and he loves cooking plant-based but he eats other foods as well and Cedar's like pretty into plant-based although he will sometimes eat something that isn't I'd say the same about Willow and Fern is like quite committed to being vegan like Amazing. she's quite into it yeah so go, cool. friend. Go, mm -hmm. friend. go for it yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so just like a little context if you're listening we're we're recording uh during the planted expo and so that's what brings you down that's right you and, Fern. Yes. and so so that'll be so cool to have her on the stage with you and you know yeah. she can kind of speak from the experience of being Absolutely. like a plant-based kid that's right uh that'll be awesome a great experience my uh my oldest son finn is five and um for him 
you know, he'll be exposed. He's going to kindergarten next year, so he'll be exposed to new things. But at this point in his life, like being plant-based is quite intuitive for him. And I think for most kids, it actually is if they were aware of, you know, what their, what their foods were, because like the shows he watches Mm -hmm. are about animals. The books he loves are, um, about animals. Um, you know, his, his toys are stuffed animals. Um, so he's surrounded by this like ecosystem where, you know, he loves animals. They're his friends. Um, so it would seem very unnatural for him. He doesn't understand why people would eat them when, you know, the books are like, you know, the ponies and the bears and the dogs. And it's like very natural to see them as like equals in a lot of ways as individuals because they have names in the books and the shows. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so it's, it's nice to, to see that young children, it can be intuitive for them to, Mm -hmm. to make that comprehension of, you know, animals as animals, as individuals and, you know, food can come from plants and that's, and that's okay. Absolutely. And I think children are often, naturally so compassionate and um when I talk to a lot of vegans anyway I'll find that we often have this like similar kind of background where we were the ones like saving worms on the sidewalk or like scooping Mm -hmm. insects out of pools and stuff like that you know I think a lot of us have that really strong compassion but the reality is a lot of kids are like that they love animals they would never want to hurt animals a lot of children actually don't realize that the chicken that they get from the grocery store is actually really was a living breathing chicken they don't understand that that's the same thing um and uh, it can i think be a shock for some kids to discover that and also children are naturally very into the environment and uh, want to save the planet and things and so i think uh young children are very well positioned to open up to the concepts of veganism yeah Yeah. there's a funny funny story like so my oldest daughter she's like she doesn't really eat any meat, a little bit of dairy. Like my wife, my wife isn't like full vegan, so it's in our house. But most, I would say, she's like pretty much just like eats a, a fully like vegetarian diet. We went to A and W because she likes to have you know the Beyond Meat burger. So she finished a swim meet. We went there and like it was recently after like everything kind of reopened, and so we went into one that we hadn't been in before, and they had these pictures of like animals mm-hmm. right in there and like AW, you know they're good advertising whatever and they it's a it's a fast food option that's available with their beyond meat burger and so we were in line and she's like dad like why do they have all these pictures of animals in here mm-hmm. and i was like because like that's what the food is made of and mm-hmm. she's like that's so weird mm-hmm. and absolutely and i was like yeah and it's even as someone who's an adult and you know obviously plant-based and understands that like yes a lot of the food is made of animals it was this moment where i was like oh that seems so why like why would they do that yes little little pictures of chickens and pigs and cows and i'm like what like it just was and she got it she got that like that that's weird i'm like yeah absolutely and i think you know i mean you mentioned a and w being good advertisers and and i think unfortunately they are they are actually quite good at selling what appears to be a more ethical or more sustainable um, meat when actually in reality, you know, that's not the case. And I I think many companies that sell meat or dairy, that is the way that they market it is through cute pictures of animals when in fact these animals are being like dismembered and slaughtered and fried up. Their bodies are um, 
on a plate, literally. And so they do not consent to having cute photos of their babies being shown on um, advertisements for mm -hmm. things where they are being they are being slaughtered. So I think it's really important to notice that and uh, to recognize that that is it's a weird indoctrination, actually. Yeah. 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 yeah very strange to have mm -hmm. like these happy photos of, yes. of you know, Imagine if there's photos of, of how that meat was, how those animals were processed and, yeah. and slaughtered. Right. If that was the advertising. It's kind of like when smoking went from like having like, you know, commercials of, of positivity to, you know, those horrific and, and honest photos of like lung and throat cancer mm -hmm. and tongue cancer on the carton of the cigarette. Right. Like, imagine if the meat industry had to be honest with the right. pictures that they use to advertise their products. It yeah, would be, the uh, glass walls on slaughterhouses, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. definitely shift mm -hmm. consumer perspective. That's right. I don't know if it would be enough to shift consumer behavior, yeah. but it's a step, right? Like the, when you look at the way people think of smoking compared to a generation or two generations ago, those packages with this pictures on the cigarettes, that's not the only thing that's made a difference, but it's one part of the puzzle. And I do think um, showcasing and talking about the truth is really important when we talk about the way that animals are used in our food system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in, in communicating this with, with kids, with children, uh, is there like a line that you take in, in sharing the, the honest truth of how animals go from these individuals to um, products on a plate? So with my own children, I was pretty honest. And uh, especially when we started, so we started transitioning our children to veganism. They um, were probably about mm, 10 and eight, seven and three or something at that time when we started transitioning them. And we spoke in um, age-appropriate language with them, but we were pretty honest. And then eventually we did actually show them a little bit of slaughterhouse footage. We pre-screened it. Make sure anything you're ever gonna show to your children is something that you look at first and you're there and you're ready to support them. And every family is gonna have their own level of comfort about what they're gonna show their kids or not. And each child is different probably also in what they want or need to see. Um, but uh, we did show our children um, a little bit of the realities of what goes on in a slaughterhouse. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I'm. I'm always like, because my kids are younger, and I often like, well, we'll go to Dean and be like, what did you do with your kids to communicate these things? So I think it's always. I think being honest is a is a great line because mm -hmm. you know that's the truth of what's happening in the world, and and what better way for them to to understand and make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah, honest and like you said, I think it's really important, age appropriate, and then be ready for the conversation and the questions, right? And to say, yeah, you know, this is this is what goes on, and a lot of people still like choose to participate in this because I think sometimes kids can like be more black and white, even though they're more compassionate, mm -hmm. um, and then they might you just don't want them to start seeing like, you know, cousin or grandma and grandpa right. as like bad right. for like eating these things, but like there is kind of that like natural. Um, innocence where kids have where they if you le like learn something and can see a better way like why wouldn't you do it like, I actually think it's okay for uh, kids to ask grandparents those kinds yeah. of questions I think you know grandparents and kids generally tend to have a pretty strong bond I'm generalizing here that may not be the case in True. your family but yeah. mostly that's the truth 
grandparents can handle a few questions from their grandchildren. And I think, you know, um, our parents, our grandparents, whatever generation, they were raised thinking very differently about a lot of things, you know. Um, and I think we're looking differently at the way we treat many different groups in our society. And I think grandparents are going to have questions from their kids and grandchildren about those things. And I think it's okay for the treatment of animals to be one of those things they get asked about and that they're forced to question, right. you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, why is the sky blue? Right. <laughs> why are you eating this hamburger? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But it also, it's like an investment, right? It, it personalizes it, I, I suppose, where it's not just, you know, someone who's older in their life and might be like, well, you know, I've always done it this way. And right. when they're looking in the faces of their little grandchildren who are inheriting this planet, it's kind of like, oh yeah, you know, as the more education comes out and they'll, how important a plant-based diet is for the wellness of not only the animals and ourselves but the planet yes it's like maybe this is the best thing you could do to like show love for your grandchildren is by like adopting uh, a diet that is like less harmful to you yes to animals and the whole the whole world right exactly and maybe they maybe they'll be around for a few more years and have a few more years of healthy time and um, able movement. There's no guarantees, but generally speaking, a plant-based diet that is well-planned does tend to reduce the risk of chronic diseases. And kids usually don't connect a lot with that because they're young. Usually they're healthy and, you know, have lots of energy. Yeah. Um, but older people, you know, our parents, our grandparents, they may connect more with that idea of like, yeah, if I can try to control or reduce my risk of developing heart disease or hypertension or diabetes by following a plant-based diet, then, you know, great. A few more years with my grandchildren where I feel healthy and strong. Yeah. 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 Who doesn't want that? Well, yeah. Exactly. That's right. Well, let's get into, um, you know, a vegan diet, vegan lifestyle for, for parents, for new parents, for pregnant moms, for young kids. I know when we were, you know, when we first went vegan, my wife and I, you know, people accepted that. But then when my wife became pregnant, you know, there was a lot of questioning. Mm -hmm. uh, when we had our first child, Finn, um, there was lots of, you know, concern and, and, and questions around, you know, it's okay that you're vegan, but is this safe or healthy for for you to raise your, your child with a, a vegan lifestyle. And it was a no brainer for us because, you know, we're, we're living in it. We understand the, the facts and, and, you know, the benefits of it, but for outsiders or for people that are, are plant curious, I think there can be, you know, fear, uncertainty, um, all sorts of concerns about, you know, dropping that animal based protein or mm -hmm. dropping dairy because there's misconceptions or, or just, you know, lack of, of, understanding that you can get those nutrient sources from from plants right absolutely and you know i think i think there's something good there i think there is something where you know maybe it does take a village to raise a child and we are somewhat invested in making sure especially you know grandparents are invested in making sure their grandchildren are safe and you know, it is good that as a community, we protect um, children. So, you know, maybe holding on to that thread of like good intention there. It's always good intention. Yes. Well, usually, <laughs> I don't know if it's always, yeah. but um, but yeah, I think there often is a good intention there. Um, but as people are moving into becoming parents, it's a dance with family members um, and even healthcare providers in terms of 
knowing when to receive and how to receive the advice that's been giving to, given to you and how to respond, but also knowing when to create your boundaries because ultimately these are your children mm -hmm. and you are responsible. You are the parents, the buck stops with you mm -hmm. and you are responsible ultimately for making safe and responsible and informed cho choices about everything you're gonna do with your children, including how you're going to feed them. So I think um, oftentimes just recognizing that for the most part with parents, especially as in grandparents of the, of the unborn child, um, they are coming to this with some anxiety and uncertainty. This is something different from how they raised you most likely, unless they were vegan, then they probably don't know about this and they're just feeling anxious and uncertain and they want to make sure their grandchild is safe and they also want to make sure their child, the pregnant, um, mom or uh, you know the pregnant person they want to make sure that they are safe through pregnancy so um, recognizing that good intention and giving some reassurance you know you know mom I've done the reading you know I've consulted with a dietitian hey I think that's a great idea for anyone who's pregnant to consult with a dietitian especially if you're vegan consulting with a dietitian who um, is informed about plant-based diets. Mm. Um, and there are quite a few across Canada who are in private practice who take, including me, but there are lots of others as well who will see um, clients. So, you know, you can say, I've spoken with a dietitian or I've read a book about it. Um, you know, I'm really informed because there are no magical foods that we need to eat in order to have a safe and healthy pregnancy there are nutrients and all of those nutrients can be found in plants so I think it's you know listening responding to the emotion or the concern and then responding to say hey I'm informed here's the steps I've taken to make sure this is safe um, I've even jumped on calls before with grandparents and uh, pregnant people or new parents like a multi-generational call um, or you could buy your parents a book um, you know, about vegan kids, mm -hmm. just to reassure them that this can be done safely and can be done well. And in terms of your healthcare professionals, uh, a really good resource to turn to is the um, American and Canadian Dietetics Association have a position paper on vegetarian and vegan diets. You can download that easily and share that with your um, doctor. And it says clearly there that a well-planned vegan diet is... Um, is healthy for all stages of life, including pregnancy and infancy. But the key words there is well-planned or are well-planned. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, we need to uh, make sure that actually we do know what we're doing. When we say, yeah, everything's okay, we need to make sure that we have actually done a little bit of reading and thinking. It doesn't need to be complicated, but taking some responsibility and eating healthfully in our pregnancy. Yeah, you, you right. can't just do the vegan junk food diet and be like, it's all good, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Just like omnivores, you know, if omnivores are eating nothing but hot dogs and potato chips through their whole pregnancy, that's not a great start. Uh, and the same thing for um, people who are following a plant-based or vegan diet, you know, making responsible and healthy choices. A couple of days of um, of junk food here and there or meals, of course, that's, you know, that can be really definitely part of a healthy uh, way of eating. But on balance, you know, we kind of follow the 80-20 rule. 80% 80 of the time, um, eating a wide variety of plant-based foods from across the plant-based food groups. 
And then, you know, choosing also on occasion, like I went for vegan donuts this morning with my daughter. It's so fun because we don't have a vegan donut bakery in uh, Nelson. So it's exciting to get to the city and be like, okay, we're going for donuts. And we also went to Meet on Main yesterday. So it's like, you know, check, a check. few. Yeah, yeah <laughs> a few. Like definitely we're hitting our 20% this, this weekend. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Got to have room for some fun, right? That's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah. It, it seems like... Um, I just just in reflecting back on what you're saying, it seems like a lot of uh, our our information and our knowledge about like what's in our food and what we need to eat comes from advertising, which we've talked about a little bit already. But uh, you know, thinking like the um, well, Scott Jurek yesterday talked about uh, uh, on his main stage panel um, the incredible edible egg, right? And like that kind of marketing and and how it's like so good for you and you know milk the big milk like does your body good campaign and we often associate the building blocks of you know our our diet with meat and dairy protein comes from meat uh, calcium which is so important especially for children and like bone development and growth and you know all of us really at stages of life but that's gonna you're gonna get that from your dairy your yogurt your milk and so the opinions are often based on advertising really the research that we can do is not extensive to be able to find like, no, what are the things that I need or what are the things that my child needs? And then how can I supplement those with plants? Absolutely. That's right. Because I mean, what we need are the nutrients. So we need protein, we need carbohydrates, we need some fats, we need lots of fiber, and then we need micronutrients as well. I mean, key micronutrients that we often think of when it's in pregnancy or growing kids or even athletes, you know, think about calcium and iron, uh, vitamin B12, all of these things we can easily get on a vegan diet with just a little bit of planning. Mm, yeah. So if we kind of go through a bit of a, a lineage here, like if we start with fertility and make our way to infancy, to growing toddlers, to children, are there any foods that people should be including in their diet when they're starting to plan to, to get pregnant? Yeah, I mean, I would say that um, one thing I've kind of changed my perspective on a little bit during my time as, as a vegan dietitian is protein. And I used to kind of have a very laid back approach to protein and just say, hey, as long as you're eating enough calories, you're getting enough protein. And I still think that is mostly true, but I do think that um, especially in pregnancy and, uh, you know, for active people who are trying to get pregnant, I think being a little more conscious of protein, make sure that you're actually choosing some protein sources on your plate. And those could be things like tofu or tempeh or um, beans and lentils. It could be meat alternatives. We have an increasing a variety of meat alternatives available to us now. You might use a protein powder. Um, and so whether you're going the like completely whole foods route or whether you include some of those, um, you know, protein powders or uh, meat alternatives in your diet, I do think even from the start of trying to conceive, we should be a little bit conscious to make sure we are choosing those protein sources. Healthy fats are so important. I think, I hope that the vegan movement is becoming less afraid of fat because I think mm. there was um, a message that maybe got lost, this kind of no oil message yes. um, and made some vegans afraid of fat. And and if you're listening to this and you, you avoid oil, um, 
that's okay. You know, I personally think that the vast majority of vegans can include some oil in their diets healthfully. Um, but if you avoid oil, please don't avoid fats. Please make sure that you're including, um, you know, uh, nuts, seeds, nut and seed butters, like some hummus or um, some avocado, uh, coconut milk maybe in your curries. Have a variety of some fats in your diet because these are so important for keeping, um, you know, your uh, omega-3 levels high in your body. They're very important for your baby's developing brain in pregnancy. Um, so, And they also help us absorb um, fat-soluble vitamins. So I would say definitely don't avoid fats and don't get sucked into that like super low fat um, messaging unless you have some medical conditions where you've specifically been prescribed that and you're under the um, supervision of your doctor. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I don't think that's something that um, most vegans need to be thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Is there is there like an oil you would recommend for people to start with? Or like, are they all kind of created equal? What, what would your go-to be? Like, I know there's avocado oil that's really nice. There's like all kinds of virgin, extra virgin. Uh, yeah, I would oil. say olive oil or avocado oil are both good. Um, I think, you know, we probably have the most research behind olive oil. I think that's probably a good, strong start. But I would say um, the one I would say not to go to as your regular oil would be coconut oil. I know coconut oil had a bit of a flourish of yeah. popularity maybe five to 10 years ago. And I do sometimes use coconut oil um, for uh, like some curries or um, for some baking once in a while. But most of the time I will use an unsaturated oil like olive um, because, the, you know, when you see coconut oil at room temperature, it's usually solid. That's an indication that there's more saturated fat. Mm. Um, and uh, that's harder for your body to break down and could increase your uh, risk of higher cholesterol and possibly even heart disease. So some is fine, but I wouldn't have that as your everyday oil. Yeah, got yeah. a little wild with coconut oil for, yeah. for a bit there. It's yeah, like it was coconut very oil. popular. I, yeah. I definitely jumped on that train for a while. And then I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> So I saw some like, it's like yeah. mouthwash with coconut oil. <laughs> yes. Use it in your hair. Yes. Use it like for your your face. Like That's everything. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. sure there are like might, maybe it's okay on your skin. I don't know. <laughs> um, okay, so olive oil is fine. Uh, make sure we're getting some good fats. Um, do you recommend people supplement their diet when they're when they're pregnant or absolutely? Yeah. without a doubt, please do uh, take a vegan prenatal when yeah. you're if you're vegan. Um, you can find vegan prenatals if that's important to you. If you're following a plant based diet and you know, it's uh, you're comfortable with using a, a different prenatal, that's fine too. Really the only difference probably uh, would be the vitamin D source because um, there is vi vegan vitamin D3, which is better absorbed, more easily absorbed than vitamin D2. Um, and you'll find most prenatals will use, the vegan ones will use a vegan D3. Um, but, you know, another prenatal is going to use a D3 that is sourced from sheep's wool, most likely. If that's something that, you know, isn't super important to you, fine. But if you're vegan and it's really important to you, then great. You can find a vegan prenatal. Please take a prenatal during your pregnancy. Absolutely. And even when trying to become pregnant, or even if you think you might become pregnant, like if you're trying but not trying, even at that time, 
please do at least take a folic acid supplement or folate supplement um, because uh, you will need that um, even before you know that you are pregnant most likely because uh, the neural tubes um, around the spine are closing at I think it's around five weeks of pregnancy so lots of times people don't even realize they're pregnant yet and then they may think oh it's time to start a prenatal at maybe six weeks pregnant or something it's already unfortunately possibly too late to prevent those birth defects. So um, if you think you may become pregnant, please take at least folic acid or even go for the um, go for a uh, vegan prenatal. Okay. So so they're on the folate and you know, nine months later, happy little baby vegan is born. Yes. And then they grow up and they're starting to experiment with foods. Yes. Um, do you supplement? Do you do you advise people to supplement? their children's diets as well? So um, when babies are born in Canada and in the U.S., um, all newborns are recommended to be given um, vitamin D from birth. Right. So vegan babies are no different, and you can get vegan D3 for your baby. So um, just like all babies, your vegan baby should have vitamin D3, and that's all they really need um, if they're being either breastfed or formula fed um, until you start introducing solids. And then when you start introducing solids, somewhere between the ages of six months to 12 months, you can start thinking about introducing independent um, supplements for your baby. And each family is different. It also depends on how much breast milk or um, formula the baby is still having uh, during that period. But somewhere along the line, you start need to start thinking about, okay, where's my baby getting their B12, um, iodine? They'll be getting some of this from breast milk or from formula. Um, but, you know, if your family is moving uh, towards, you know, relying mostly on solids or you start um, weaning, um, then you really need to be thinking about where those are coming from. So I would say the key nutrients uh, to think about in terms of supplements, um, and this is for babies, but actually I'd say this is for really all vegans. Um, D3, which we already talked about, vitamin B12. Now this is one that all vegans should be thinking, okay, where am I getting my B12? Because we don't really have a plant-based whole food source. Um, we have a fortified sources. And um, so if you're regularly consuming a lot of nutritional yeast, uh, fortified plant-based milk, you may find if you go to the doctor and get your blood work tested, I have a lot of vegan clients and they generally are all very dutiful to supplement with, with B12. And they're also eating a lot of nutritional yeast. And they're also drinking one to two glasses a day of fortified plant-based milk, either you know in their coffee or in their cereal or whatever. And I generally find that B12 levels are like through the roof. Mm. I don't know if you've seen that in your own lives or in family members, but I, and this is not a message that you don't need to supplement. <laughs> Please do supplement. But if you get your B12 levels tested and they're very high, you might be able to reduce your B12 supplement to say once a week or something like that if you're having a lot of fortified foods. Regularly. And what is in, in human development, what is the function of B12 and, and D3? What is what is the reason why we need to make sure we're-, we're They both have a lot of different um, functions in the body. They're important in terms of our immunity. They're important in terms of protecting our brain. Um, I mean, they're just so important. Please never think you don't need 
B12. I mean, it's a very, very dangerous thing um, to not have your B12. You can actually really develop some um, serious mental health issues if you uh, are are uh, B12 deficient wow. um, and become quite ill. So, uh, and vitamin D3, I think we're, D3 is in a bit of a, it's having a bit of a research honeymoon right yes, now. It's like yes. they're looking at vitamin D for everything right now, but there's a reason for that. It's important for immunity. It's also important for mental health. Um, it's important for many functions in our body. So um, yes, vitamin D is also important. I mean, you can uh, in the summertime, if you are outdoors for 20 minutes a day without sunscreen, then you can get some vitamin D through your skin. But a lot of people are not comfortable with that because they're concerned about the effects of the sun and skin cancer. I completely understand that. Um, and in the wintertime in Canada, it's just not possible to get vitamin D from the sun. Even on a sunny day, the strength of the sun is it's not strong enough. And we tend to be covered up in the winter, maybe only our face or our hands are showing um and so please don't rely only on the sun you will need to take a vitamin d supplement yeah what do you think about um okay this is maybe my confession to see if the doctor approves like my kids love the herbaline gummies i love the herbaline gummies okay. i just posted them in my stories <laughs> yesterday because oh, nice. i picked up some more uh b12 and d3 gummies yes. for myself um i really like those gummies i find um i do sometimes take other supplements and i'm not affiliated with any brands um but i will say herbaland or just the fact that it's a gummy, I'm less likely to forget it. I'm like, oh, it's time for my gummy, which like feels like a nice little treat. Yes. Um, and I find also with my kids using either a spray or a gummy, it's just better accepted. They will take other supplements, but I find if the supplement can also taste good, um, then all the better. Yeah, they yes. love they love their little gummy bears. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. That's right. We, we kind of rotate between the gummies and the sprays. They're like, right. They, they, they call them candy sprays. Right. And, yeah. and the gummies are treats, so it's all very positive. I think that that's fantastic. I, I think it doesn't need to taste bad. Um, so those were two, were the B12 and the D3. I think those are important. After that, um, iodine is also important. Um, we use iodized salt in our household. I would encourage people to get some iodized salt. Uh, if you prefer sea salt or Himalayan salt, great. No problem. You can find those iodized as well if you look around a little bit. If you really don't want to do that, you can look to seaweed. There are lots of different kinds of seaweed um, that is a source of iodine. So that's another option mm -hmm. um, if you don't want to get it through salts. Um, and then also another one to consider would be an omega-3 supplement. Um, you can get omega-3s from plants. There's one type of omega-3 that we get from plants, which is called um, AHA, ALA. And um, so we can uh, get that through um, things like flaxseed, walnuts are good sources, um, but uh, we can also produce a little bit of the DHA EPA um, when we get enough of the vegan omega-3s. But you might want to consider um, for adults or for children, maybe particularly for children whose brains are still developing, uh, to use a algae-sourced DHA EPA supplement. Those are oil-based. I'm not going to lie. They don't taste as good as the gummy vitamins. Um, so anyway, uh, but they 
they are going to be a good source of omega-3s. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's basically where the fish are getting the omegas from anyway. Exactly. Yeah. From algae. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So just yes. go direct to the source. That's sk- right. Skip the middleman. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But that's something too. Like my kids like um, they'll, they'll have like a smoothie right. for breakfast and like you can kind of just dump that in that's there right. and it's they don't know. Right? Yes. Exactly. <laughs> like, or- I agree. <laughs> I agree. It has kind of a fruity taste. There is a little bit of a taste of the sea too, but when it's mixed into like a fruit salad or a smoothie or something, it's yeah. it's fairly subtle. Yeah. yeah. And what about well, you mentioned protein for for pregnant moms and expecting moms? Uh, what about protein for you know growing children? So the most important nutrients when you're first starting introducing um, foods to your baby solids would be to focus on healthy fats and iron. Now. Foods that are good sources of iron often tend to also be good sources of protein. Um, so when we're looking for iron, we're thinking about beans, lentils, tofu, tempeh, and greens, as well as fortified cereals. So those are good sources of iron for your child. Um, those generally, if you're doing enough of those, your child's also going to be getting enough protein, but don't neglect the healthy fats. Um, you're, you know, we were talking earlier about how, um, you know, vegans, uh, need to have some healthy fats, your child even more so. In fact, your child needs around 40%, um, your baby to toddler needs around 40% of their calories, almost half of their calories coming from fats. So I do see some, um, influencer vegan moms on Instagram who are promoting like breastfeeding plus a lot of fruit. Um, and this is not sufficient for your child. Your child may love fruit. They may reach for fruit. Fruit tastes great, um, but it's actually not going to meet their needs to have only breast milk and fruit. They do need more fat than that. They're going to need um, some tahini or some peanut butter or some avocado or some coconut milk in a curry or whatever um, your family, however your family chooses to introduce foods, whether that be through purees or through baby led weaning. They do, your your child needs to have exposure and frequent, um, like every day, they need multiple sources of healthy fats in their diet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's good. How, how important, like speaking of, you know, introducing these foods, how important is it to like expose your child to like as many fruits, vegetables, types of food that like they can get their hands on? Well, I think exposure is valuable and important. It's nice when... Um, and every, again, every family is different, but I do think it's nice when the family can eat together. There can be um, lots of food out. Your child sees you enjoying lots of different kinds of food. Maybe there are other children at the table as well who also um, are eating different foods. It's Recent research is showing us just how important variety is to our guts. Um, so whilst I'm saying all of that, and I do think that it's healthy for your kid to get a variety, and I think it also helps to promote healthy attitudes towards food and hopefully your child becoming like a very comfortable eater. I will say if your child goes through a cautious food period where they, um, maybe only like five different foods, (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. Uh, I love Brenda Davis, who's like kind of the OG, um, and Vasanto Molina. I'll uh, have like a chapter in their book, um, Becoming Vegan, about uh, vegan toddlers. And, you know, I think that they actually choose five different foods that are really simple. It's like, you know, um, 
peanut butter and soy milk and you know it even just like these basics even if your child will eat these basic foods then um they can get their nutrient needs met from that i think if you're in a situation where a child is resistant and they they they're a carbivore you know mm-hmm. they just want to eat like pasta and rice and you know they're kind of afraid of everything else keep going keep offering um it's very normal actually for children to go through a cautious phase around eating keep offering try to make sure they're getting some fortified uh plant-based milk if they're past 12 months of age otherwise like um if you're still breastfeeding or um offering formula um and uh make sure they're getting some fats whether that be through like peanut butter or hummus or something but try also just not to worry keep going Mm -hmm have abundant uh, foods on the table, offer things, and your child will choose um, what they're comfortable with and ready for. Yeah. yeah. And what is your lens? Um, you know, I always fall into these traps having having kids of like one more bite or two more bites. Like yeah. what what is like a healthy lens on, on um, you know, preparing your kids to have a, a healthy relationship on what is on their plate and accepting that maybe they're not going to eat it all or maybe they're not going to have as much as you'd like them to have. Like how do you... How do you position like that relationship of, of meal time? I do think that the healthiest way to approach that is for parents to offer. And so parents decide, um, you know, when we're eating and what we're offering and kids decide like how much they're going to have. I also really like to give because I think all food battles or nearly all food battles are about control and autonomy. And it's really important to not overwhelm your child's sense of self um, if they're not consenting to eating. You know, it's very important not to force them just in terms of their future relationship with food and their body, but even their future relationship with their ability to stand up for themselves, to have boundaries, to give consent or not um, in many different facets of life. So, but I like to give kids a little bit of, power so to say parents decide what we're eating I know that's a lot of what's said but I like to give kids a binary choice Mm. so it's going to be like you know tonight we're going to have either like you know uh, black bean burgers or we're going to have um you know pasta with lentil sauce or something like that right and they can choose or if your kid is even younger then it's down to maybe something really simple like you know for supper do we want to have um you know brussels sprouts or green beans as the veggie tonight and so there's two choices but they got to say something about it Mm. um them coming into the kitchen is also wonderful like pushing buttons on the blender or giving a stir to things from a very young age having your child take some role in the kitchen um and i do think you know my own kids i really did um involve them in the kitchen and now my two eldest sons um have taken professional cooking at college and my daughter's thinking about it actually all four of my kids are thinking about doing that doing that future route and i do think that that's part of how much they were exposed to cooking when they were younger and Mm -hmm. how confident they felt in that and then when they went to high school and started doing cooking classes they were like oh i know all about this already i'm really confident in this area yeah yeah the ferguson family cafe coming oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. yeah it's so fun and it is fun like I, I, our kids love to get in the kitchen too so i love i loved hearing you share that because sometimes it's like it's infinitely more work to have them mm. in there with you mm. but it always feels like it's so much fun and 
for them to see like where food can come from yes. and inevitably when you're doing it they ask questions about right. like what it is what are these ingredients what are these spices and how do we cook it and so it's really um it's like educational yes and it's like meaningful kind of just family time and yes. it's it's nourishing them in like multiple senses of the word which is really cool and um yeah giving them choice my we always ask the kids like what do you want to eat tonight right. and oftentimes it's like creamy curry which is like our mm-hmm. you know unbutter chicken or whatever or my daughter for her birthday wanted um quinoa like power bowls nice. <laughs> like okay who are you but it's so cool <laughs> to see them like start to feel empowered to like make those choices yeah. and yeah that's oh, that's that's really good setting them up for success right absolutely and understanding how what foods are good for you and will fill you and make you feel good yeah and actually something that i did with my kids when they were probably around the age of 12 my youngest and I haven't done it yet but we did um, an internship with each kid I highly recommend bringing one child at a time into the kitchen I have four and sometimes I used to bring them all in and that was like a total it was it was it was super hard and actually didn't achieve that connection that I was looking for I think one at a time is great and um, yeah, I did this cooking internship where I went through a series of kitchen skills starting with you know, food safety, safety in the kitchen, then some basic knife skills, um, and then learning how to do like measuring, stirring, how to use the stove, how to use the oven, um, and, um, you know, baking and, and going through these kind of basic steps. It probably took about a month and they'd come into the kitchen every day and do some step with me. And I think that's important, like pre-prep what you want to do have things laid out, organized, and then bring your child in. Don't like think, okay, you know, what am I going to do tonight? And then bring your child in. Like be organized a little bit before they come in. Know what you want to achieve in the interaction. Then bring them in, have the experience with them. Um, And then at the end of the month, um, their task was to prepare a meal for the family. And so they prepared a meal for the family and then that was their graduation. And then they got to have something, I think it was like usually going to a movie with a friend. They got to pick a movie and bring a friend. And that was like their celebration graduation from their cooking internship. But um, I really think that that's a useful thing. And then you can rely on them as well after that to like do some basic tasks in the kitchen for you. It does take a bit of time and training, but afterwards they can actually become um, like quite useful so that yeah. it doesn't take longer. It's actually quicker to have them in the yeah, kitchen. You got four yeah. little sous, sous chefs. To that's pull right. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. <laughs> yes. That. Mama yeah. can put her feet up that's and right. kids can. Uh... Well, that's true now. <laughs> that's true now. My kids are great cooks now. Yeah. Yeah. They're asking you, okay, what are we going to have? Yeah. Right. Right. Like Brussels, Brussels yeah. sprouts or broccoli. <laughs> what are we right. doing tonight, that's mom? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. So, something you mentioned earlier, and I just want to come back to it before I forget. You talked about um, so with some of the clients you work with and stuff, getting uh, checking their blood work and seeing oh, where's your B12 level. Is that something that you would recommend for people to do? Like I'm, I'm even just thinking personally, like uh, I've said a few times, I've been, been plant-based now for like four and a half years, but I was like, I wish I would have taken my blood. And I, I, probably because it would have been dramatic, I was kind of eating more of like almost like a keto style right. diet and then went to see a, um, 
a nutritionist and a dietitian and eventually figured things out because I was like not feeling well. Right. And I was like, what, what does it make sense? Like I'm eating just like six eggs a day and I'm like, why don't I feel good? But then uh, it would have been such an interesting thing to see like blood work from before and mm-hmm. after. Is that something you recommend to people to do like once a year, once every few years or I as think often? at least once every couple of years getting your, so every three years, let's say at a minimum or um, maybe once a year this is a relationship you'll have with your doctor and some doctors are more comfortable with testing more often other doctors prefer to test less often and so you know you're going to have to have a discussion with your doctor how they feel if you really want to know um, you can always go and see a naturopath who will probably be quite comfortable to test because then you're paying for the test Um, and so um, but I do think uh, making sure your doctor knows that you're plant-based is also important Uh, a lot of people are kind of nervous to tell their doctor they think their doctor is not going to approve or is going to give them lots of lectures or something Um, I would say definitely let your doctor know um, because when they're monitoring your blood work it's good for them to know that you're plant-based it just will make sure probably that they're ordering you know your b12 to get tested and like i say as long as you're supplementing eating fortified foods regularly that kind of thing don't worry your b12 levels are probably going to be great but um it's good to have that relationship with your doctor where you can be honest that you're vegan and um, they can be helping you to monitor your health through your blood work yeah, that's good. And is there there are markers that we should be looking for, like B twelve, D three, iron? Like, are, is there like a when you when you send your own clients, are there kind of suggestions that you ask that they check for? Generally, a standard blood panel will include um, your blood lipids, so like your cholesterol, your triglycerides. That's really important. Um, looking at your blood sugars, so not only testing your your blood sugar that morning, like your fasting blood glucose, um, but also looking at what's called your hemoglobin A1C, which will be an average of your blood sugars over the past three months. Um, those two, I think, are both really useful to get. Yes, we should look at iron. Um, We're not, as vegans, more likely to be iron deficient uh, than the general population. However, iron deficiency is quite common. I do see a lot of clients um, who are iron deficient. I've been iron deficient before as well. Um, So I do have a lot of experience with that. And it's good to get your iron tested, especially if you're a menstruating person. Um, And then uh, also, yeah, sure, get your B12 checked. Absolutely. If you can... um, bring up vitamin d testing with your doctor that's great it's not on a standard blood panel i wish it was um canadians are quite likely to be deficient Mm -hmm. um not just vegans but uh generally canadians are but i do think it is something worth testing or i mean i really think we should just all be supplementing anyway um and um yeah, I think those are most of the tests that I would say would be uh, useful to ask your doctor about. But those would generally, other than the vitamin D, would be uh, included within a standard blood yeah. panel. It's interesting yeah. that it's not included, like considering how important it is right. for all of us. And right. Yeah. I mean, sitting here in Vancouver on a rainy yes. June day, it's like, yeah, we probably need to be supplementing it, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. So just touching on the iron, because that's a common one that people have concerns with, mm-hmm. um, especially um, some of, some people that are, as you mentioned, menstruating. Um, and there's a I've seen a conception of vegans that have 
gone back to eating some meat because of their iron concerns. So can you kind of maybe debunk that and also suggest some ways that people can boost their iron um, through food or, or supplements if they are low iron? Well, I've seen both. I've seen people who uh, become vegan and their iron stores drop, but I've also seen the opposite where people become vegan and their iron stores increase. Mm. Actually, our intake of iron as vegans tends to be higher than omnivores um, because there is a lot of iron in plant-based foods, but um, it's not generally as easily absorbed as the iron that's in um, animal products. And some people seem to be better at absorbing it than others. That's what I see in my practice. Um, And so the things to focus on would be um, beans and greens. Those are going to be your best sources of iron. So coming back to, um, you know, black beans and lentils and chickpeas, hummus is a good source. Also, um, uh, tofu is often overlooked as a source of iron. I love tofu and, you know, for kids, I love tofu because it's protein, it's fat, it's iron. It's just like winning on all fronts. And please don't be afraid of soy for your kids or for anyone. Um, you know, please do include soy. Um, and then greens are a good source of iron as well. So kale, for example, or collard greens or beet greens. Um, if you can add a source of vitamin C to the mix, that will help you absorb that iron even more easily. So a squeeze of lime or lemon or some red peppers chopped into um, your meal will help you absorb the iron. But let's not forget as well about fortified foods and um, uh, also um, like supplements as well. So we can um, think about uh, foods like fortified cereals um shreddies is vegan and it is it does have a little bit of sugar but it is fortified uh with iron um and you know it makes a nice like snack because you can eat it with you can eat it with milk with um plant-based milk and some people are concerned oh if i give my child a bowl of shreddies or another like raisin bran is another fortified cereal if i give my uh child a bowl of um, shreddies that's iron fortified and then I add a calcium fortified beverage is that going to cancel it out because we've heard you know calcium mm. can block iron absorption don't worry about that please do give your child either with the milk or without it doesn't matter because it's only at very high intakes of calcium um, that would only be achieved through um, a supplement, a calcium supplement, not through regular intake of food. So no problem. Uh, you know, you won't interfere with their iron absorption. So um, those are a few options. And then the other one to think about also is the category of um, meat alternatives that you may or may not include within your family. But if you do include them, say, once or twice a week, I think that's maybe like kind of a good line guideline generally to be thinking of have a look turn the package over and look and see if the ones that you are regularly buying are iron fortified because some of them are and some of them are not and if you're looking for more iron uh, sources within your family then you may want to um, include those ones that are iron fortified even within 
brands like I'll just pull a brand right now again not affiliated with any brands but Eves um, I've noticed some of their products are iron fortified and some are not so mm. um, just look at the label you'll be able to tell by looking at the um, label on the back by looking at the nutrition per- the percentage of the um, daily requirement that's coming from iron you'd want to see that it's you know at least 10% maybe 20% if it's saying like 2% or something that's not really a significant source of iron yeah and then the last being um, using like an iron pot like cast iron cookware or there's like the lucky iron fish for example that's like or there's a leaf I think as well that's made of iron that you can add into um, you know your water or you can cook in an iron pot and a little bit of that iron will actually leach into um, what you're cooking and so especially if you're cooking something kind of acidic that you cook over a long period of time like a tomato sauce for example it will be richer in iron if you cook in a cast iron cookware I didn't know that I love that Um, you talked about calcium and iron being together and okay like maybe it cancels it out but now we know eat don't it, worry don't worry about go it. for it yeah i've heard the same thing with like um coffee and people saying like mm-hmm. don't don't take coffee in the morning if you that's when you take your iron or try to space it out is that true or is that the same yes so that is true although what i would say is it impairs it doesn't block okay so if that's the only time you're going to remember to take your iron like please take, take it. it um the best time to take your supplements is when you're going to remember to take them um so you may lose, and I mean, don't quote me on the percentage here. I'm, I'm probably going to struggle to remember exactly, but I'm guessing you may lose like 20 to 30% of the iron through consumption. And it's not just coffee, it's coffee or tea. And even if you drink decaf, it still blocks it. It's not just, it's not the caffeine, caffeine. it's other um, compounds within the drink. So um, yes, you will lose some of that uh, iron fortification, an iron supplement, um, but you know, uh, just space it out by an hour if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, don't lose sleep over this. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What about uh, like spirulina or chlorella? Just throwing some of that into your smoothies. Is that a Yeah, good absolutely. Source? Those are also sources for sure. Okay. Yes. I like to throw into my kids' smoothies. I just good. like, I'm like yeah. laughing yeah, as I'm putting in all the flaxseed and spirulina. It's good. Yeah. All those things. Yeah. Um, with our with our kids and with ourselves, um, should we be concerned about uh, purchasing organic versus conventional? Is that something you bring into consideration? Well, I would say um, I probably could be more informed than I am about this question. I would say I have a moderate level of um certainty in terms of my answer to this what i will say i'm very certain of is there's very little difference in terms of the nutritional value so in terms of just what nutrients your children are going to absorb from the food there is no difference really some people may be concerned about the types of sprays that are used in between the two there are going to be sprays used on both conventional and organic foods although the sprays that can be used on organic are more regulated and there are fewer of them so if that's something that you're concerned about um, and you can afford to make the choice of going for um, uh, organic then go for it Um, and then also I think the other thing to consider is the effect on the planet Um, and there I probably would say I have the least confidence in my answer of how I'm not a soil scientist. I don't know exactly what I think 
um, the you know impact of conventional farming is. I would say do the best you can. Um, it's much better to be offering your children, you know, five to ten servings of fruits and veggies a day that you can afford that are conventional than not being able to afford um, organic produce and limiting what you offer your kids. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Because yeah. you often see like the list of like the dirty dozen or whatever and yeah. avoid these ones at all costs. These ones, it really doesn't make a difference if it's organic or not organic. And you, I always wonder like... I used to believe that dirty dozen list and it's been kind of debunked now. So I wouldn't worry about that. I think there probably is still something to the idea that if you can peel something, that's going to limit your exposure to um, the pesticides or herbicides. But I have also heard that those things can go through the peels. Um, so, you know... But like if you're having citrus, for example, and you can wash it before and then you peel it, I'm going to say that's going to expose you to fewer um, pesticides or herbicides than something that you're eating the peel of. But again, you still will get some exposure. Right. Yeah. I think that's one that um, people have become a little bit less concerned with. But I think that, um, you know, we've got the juice truck as well. And that was like four years ago. That was like. Every customer wanted to know what every organic? single ingredient was. It organic? Was it not? And um, similar, similar to the the coconut oil thing. I think they had a similar timeline. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The organic coconut oil. So what? What? <laughs> one, the organic coconut. Oil. <laughs> one thing that I heard recently, and I, I don't know if you have research on this, but I found it so interesting. I think it was Will Bushwitz that I was listening to, and he was talking about how a mother will transfer her the foods that she has uh, in in pregnancy. Um, will have will help form the microbiome that the, the child has and i yes. find that so interesting so if, if a mother is eating a lot of greens or, or the diet that uh, the, the mother is consuming will contribute to some of the foods that the, the child might uh, enjoy themselves and the microbiome yes. that they will have that's absolutely the case um uh, you know, the foods that you're eating. And then also some um, flora is um, also the child picks up some flora if there's a vaginal birth and probably also through breastfeeding, they're getting some um, flora contributed that way as well. So absolutely, um, the the parent who carries the child is going to pass on some of their um, microbiome to the child and uh, that's that's really um, a wonderful opportunity to set your child up well for the future if you are right now considering becoming pregnant or you are pregnant that's just another little reason to do the best you can I think all parents are doing the best they can but it's another reason to feel inspired or excited about you know the things that you're doing for your health you're going to be able to pass that on to your child if you have already given birth and you know you think oh I didn't really maybe do as well as I could have don't worry you get every day is a new opportunity to build your own and your child's mm -hmm. um, microbiome and certainly our diet is important but other things too like getting out in nature getting into the soil gardening all those things um, help to build your child's microbiome and one of the best things we can do is, is eat a wide variety of plant foods so I'd say 
first to think of the variety of plant food groups. So fruits and veggies, nuts and seeds, um, grains and cereals, and protein foods. So eating across that spectrum and then within each of those groups also eat a variety. So eating a wide variety of fruits and veggies, um, nuts and seeds, grains, and uh, protein sources as much as your family is um, financially able to, you have the time and capacity to, and that your children will accept. And we all live, we all dance within those uh, limitations all the time and just celebrating doing the best you can. If you can eat, I think it's 30, is it 30? Is that his magic number? 30 different plant foods a week, um, then that's wonderful. And you may think at first like, oh, I'm definitely not doing 30. But when you start really adding it up, like your oats count and your broccoli counts and your, um, you know, whole grain breads, like all those things count, then you start thinking, okay, maybe I am doing 30. And if you're not quite, maybe stock up on a few like frozen fruits and veggies, for example, have those in the freezer. You can just add a few extra into um, your smoothies or in when you're cooking. Um, if it feels overwhelming to you, just start building a little bit at a time. Make a little pantry where you've got like different um, nuts and seeds and that you can start adding into things so that mm. you can start diversifying the plants that you're eating and that will help to diversify your microbiome as well. Yeah. How many or like how important would um, like dried or fresh like herbs and spices be in terms of like playing into that? I mean, you've mentioned like curries and stuff and obviously the flavor is so good. <laughs> but in terms of like uh, contributing to that plant diversity, is that something the where... fresh does make it is that is an area that really does make a difference. And you will get a lot more benefit out of having the fresh spices and herbs rather than like, for example, turmeric or ginger, ginger yeah. or, um, you know, basil or something. You're going to get a lot more if you can afford and you can have access to the fresh. To the fresh. Yeah, okay. you could always um, buy them when they're in season. Um, blend them up with a little bit of water in the blender and freeze them in ice cube trays, then pop them into Ziploc bags that will and label, you know, this is ginger or whatever. And then you just drop that one ice cube at a time into your curry when you're cooking rather than having to grate. I use my blender for everything like this. I don't even like hardly mix things anymore or chop things. Like I just toss everything in the blender with a bit of water. It chops it for me. Just like garlic, onion, like just do that with everything. And then you can freeze it, pop it in a bag or a, whatever type of container you use in your freezer. And um, that will allow you to have the freshest because um, things that are frozen uh, are giving you almost exactly the same nutrition that fresh is giving you. So you can buy the fresh basil, for example, when it's in season and then freeze it like that. Oh, that's a good, that's a good that's hack. That's a hot tip right there. I've, I've never done yeah. that. Cool, cool tip, actually. Cool tip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's good. Yeah, because sometimes it can feel like, oh, it's like not as good sprinkling right. the dry stuff in there. That right. is that's so simple and so smart. Now, what about uh, hormone health for for mothers, like uh, post pregnancy, postnatal? Is that uh, other foods that can help support uh, hormone health that you recommend? Once again, I would really just say a balanced diet is yep. what's important. I would say getting enough healthy fats is quite important for um, people to be able to maintain healthy hormones if they're pregnant or postpartum or breastfeeding or chest feeding. I would say. Um, you know, also getting enough protein is important. But, um, you know, 
I think there's maybe some fear mongering around, you know, not having soy, for example, um, you know, this idea of um, these phytoestrogens that are in soy that they may be having a negative effect on our health. Please don't worry about that. Um, if you yourself have had breast cancer or if you have a strong history of breast cancer within your family, then maybe speak to a dietitian, speak with a doctor um, where they can provide you individualized guidance. But for the vast majority of us, even at very high intakes of soy, there is no um, nothing to worry about, nothing to worry about for your boys becoming, you know, you won't become feminized or girls having early periods or your breasts growing unusually large or males getting, you know, like gynomastia or man boobs, like none of those things are going to happen. Your testosterone levels are not going to lower as a man. These things are just, just don't worry about those. So really um, in terms of hormonal health, it's, it's uh, about eating a healthy, balanced diet, making sure you're getting enough fat um, and also trying to take it easy on the caffeine, um, take it easy on, you know, I think as busy parents, we can definitely get sucked into that. Oh, I'll just have an iced coffee in the morning and not eat until lunch and whatever. Those things can disrupt your hormones for sure, those habits. So do try to um, make sure that you are eating and sleeping as much as you are able to in a healthy and intuitive way. And how much sleep do you recommend? <laughs> well, <laughs> ideally, I think um, adults are supposed to be getting um, around eight hours a night. Older adults, maybe slightly less. Younger, slightly more. I think, you know, if you're a parent and you're getting eight hours, like... Props. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell, us, tell, us <laughs> tell us your secrets. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, that, you know, sleep, I think we're just discovering really just how important sleep is. And I definitely used to be, I was a person in my 20s and 30s, I would say, who had like so many healthy habits. Like I was extremely always choosing like the healthiest options. But the one thing I did was like definitely rob myself of sleep. Like I would, I would work and train and whatever. And I would just count on the fact that I would be able to get by on like four or five hours of sleep or something over a long period of time. Um, and I thought I was so smart, but actually, no, that's, that is a, a recipe for inflammation and potentially just for, for eventually becoming extremely burnt out. I did eventually get pneumonia after um, a marathon one time from, I think, really overtraining and not sleeping and trying to fit in work and kids and meal prep and, you know, Instagram and like <laughs> all, and all of these things. Um, and, and sleep was what took the hit right and I finally actually started listening and um, I do I wear my Garmin now and it not not promoting Garmin specifically but I do try to uh, at least get seven hours now nice yes that's a good lesson for uh, for all of us myself <laughs> yeah. included I, yeah. I definitely fall into that uh, category of thinking I can make up for sleep with like nutrition and right. other things and but, actually uh, that's not true <laughs> yeah, yes that's right I yeah. know so thank you for the reminder <laughs> um a couple questions on on the vegan side because you know vegans veganism is more than than just food um when you're um teaching children about veganism um do you bring like the environmental side into the conversation and if so like how do you how do you bring that into the conversation what's kind of your 
your stance on on starting that conversation and educating young people? Well, when we look at the research in terms of plant-based diets and the environment, the easiest three metrics to measure that we do tend to look at the most would be um, land use, um, greenhouse gas emissions, and also water use. And um, those, in all three of those metrics, it is very clear that a plant-based diet is um, more sustainable and better for the environment. So I would give that same message regardless of the person I was talking to, even to a very young child, but I would use age-appropriate language in in saying that and I do want to focus on I think we can all kind of have an understanding of the water use and the and the um the greenhouse gas emissions I think we can all kind of understand that when it comes to plants but land use is something I think a lot of people get confused even vegans often get confused about why um a plant-based diet is so much better for um, using less land resources. And this is something that really, just really, I wish everyone understood, um, is that uh, a lot of the land resources that are used um, in animal agriculture are used to grow the feed that um, is ultimately fed to uh, the animals. And then those animals will then... I'm going to speak about animals right now in tr- as food. I don't actually see animals this way, but in order to answer this question, I will acknowledge the fact that animals are used for food in our food system. So animals are actually very poor converters of calories into protein and calories. So you think about um, a cow that is used for beef, for example. Um, you know, they need to grow. They need to um, build that huge muscular body and, you know, uh, you know, their bones and all of that. So a lot of their feed is just used to support their own like movement and respiration and growth. Um, and the conversion of energy into something that humans can actually use in the end as calories and protein is very poor. And we would be much better to just um, eat those calories ourselves. So, you know, if the cattle are being fed oats or grain or, you know, we should be eating those things. People will make the argument, well, what about grass-fed cattle? Um, You could possibly, uh, in areas of the world that are not suitable for growing plants, you could make the argument that in some cases, in just those areas, some grazing of ruminant animals, which would be a very small amount, um, would maybe be a bit more sustainable. But in Canada, um, all I'm going to say all here, and I think I'm right, all cattle are grain finished because we, other than maybe in a few parts of, of Vancouver Island, we don't have year-round pastures um, for cattle. And so they're not going to be grass-raised through their whole life. They're at least going to eat grain at the end. And I would make the final statement that even if all those conditions are met and it's this very small amount of land that's not suitable for growing anything else, then let's just make it wildland because actually the biggest and saddest part for me of the of the impact the environmental impact of 
uh, animal agriculture is the loss of habitat for wild creatures and the fact that the vast majority now of um, living, breathing beings on this planet now are um, animals raised for food. And we have decimated our um, uh, wild populations of animals in the world. And we're continuing to do that by expanding agriculture, whether that is um, growing soy in the Amazon, which people think, oh, vegans, no, this soy is being grown to feed to cattle. <laughs> and so that's where people don't understand the land argument. And they just think like, oh, you know, vegans are using so much land because they see a, a field of wheat and they think, oh, that's being used as plants, like we're eating that. But actually a lot of big fields of corn or that we see are then being used as silage to feed animals. Right. Yeah. It's if yeah, that's so important. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and yeah, people need to know it. It's kind of the I, I heard somewhere too, and I can't remember the facts or figures, but roughly it's the idea is like with all of the grain and oats and everything that corn, soy that's fed for animal agriculture, like there you could feed everybody in the world. Like there would be no food insecurity. That's uh, th- that is absolutely true. That yeah. is absolutely true. And I think it's I think it averages out to around seven to one i think that it's lost like it takes seven um calories of grains and and plants to um grow on average one calorie of animal foods that humans can then turn around and eat again lots of reasons why i don't eat animals and we don't have to eat animals but even if that was the only reason we've got a growing population yeah. we have a planet that has no extra land resources to spare we have what we're in a mass extinction like let's not start crying here but honestly it's just even just that one reason alone is enough of a reason and children can understand this they can understand the idea that wild animal habitat is disappearing Mm -hmm. and uh that we need to save the homes for the wild animals to be able to like live in the trees and that if those things are cut down then uh you know it takes forever for that to grow back up again and if it and it's just not happening those those uh spaces are being decimated and they're not coming back and it's happening here in canada it's happening here too not just in the amazon it's happening here too Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's one thing i think our province has done such a great job of greenwashing our (laughs) our sustainability and uh, as we cut down our old growth forest here in bc and point our fingers over at the amazon yeah or alberta saying look at what they're doing over there with the beef industry and right it's this idea that we're like so green green and progressive absolutely that's absolutely uh the case and and um, again, this is not my area of expertise, but I know that when you're driving down the highway, a lot of times it's like this thin layer of trees that we're seeing and that we, it looks so good. But actually, if you can see aerial photographs behind that, things are clear cut and, uh, you know, we are really decimating our forests. And there's a lot of activity, as you well know, um, around even around Nelson, around uh, trying to protect um, old growth forest and I have friends who are very active in that movement right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And I think that's a no brainer for kids too. Like I that's think right. you take kids in nature and they love that experience and, and understanding that um, trees are important and yeah. worthwhile protecting for, for us and for, for, all of the animals that yes. inhabit them. So you take, yeah, take anyone and show them like an ancient cedar or a sequoia. And it's just like, I don't understand how someone would see that and be like, we should cut that down. Right. Like it just, it doesn't, 
it doesn't make sense. So when people need, you know, you'd said one of the ways we can help with our microbiome stuff is like, get outside. It's like, right. let's go for a hike and experience nature and see what we're like, what we need to preserve and protect. People don't want to. And I think if you asked, just like if you, they've done polls, uh, you know, and the vast majority of Canadians are animal lovers and want to protect animals and that kind of thing. But, you know, then do people want to build a deck in their backyard? Yes, they do. Do they want to, you know, renovate their kitchen and rip out all the old units and put in new units? Yes, they do. And does sometimes that mean that, um, you know, deforestation is happening? Yes, it does. And, you know, there's a lot more to it than that. But, you know, we have to look at our consumption habits. And uh, I think we... I don't want to put it all on individuals because I think we always need to look at governments, regulations, and um, industry as well. But I think we all have to be ready to make some hard choices and and not um, always consume, consume, consume. And I'm speaking to myself here too because mm-hmm. I can absolutely get caught up in that kind of stuff too. Yeah. So kind of staying on that, that lens just for a few minutes here on climate change for educating kids. Like... Um, we talked about some steps um, that you can do for your kids and educating about a vegan diet, I think, is one. Um, you know, I think teaching kids about secondhand toys um, is another. Um, going to the library instead of buying new books. Um, are there are there some, like, kind of easy tap-ins or, or steps that um, you feel are important to communicate to, to children about climate change? Yeah, I think maybe... Um learning to ride our bikes you know and walk um to the shops to pick up um our groceries can be uh, a good idea um maybe there's an opportunity to compost at your house um growing some of your own food could be uh, a nice idea or um buying food from a local farmer especially if they are a farmer that produces only vegan foods supporting your local um, producers is uh, is also a, a good idea um and maybe taking some holidays closer to home instead of always thinking of traveling long distances i think that can make a huge difference um yeah that's awesome you're good Okay, I got a couple couple final questions and then maybe we can do a couple rapid fires sure. before we send Dr. Pamela to the expo to educate the masses. Yes. Um, for those listening that are, are still, you know, have their, their questions and concerns, uh, what are some common barriers to veganism um, that you see in your practice? Well, I think some people just love the taste of dairy and eggs and meat I think that that's that is the truth and I think as vegans we shouldn't shy away from that reality that some people really do love those things and are used to them I was that person I never cared about meat I never enjoyed meat really even as a child but I did love dairy and I am that like stereotype of a person like oh I could never give up cheese you know Mm -hmm. and um so we're doing a great job I think uh within the plant-based movement with producing foods um more foods that allow people to have alternatives like cheese for example dairy alternatives i think it's getting a lot better um meat alternatives are like pretty incredible right now um so i think that's one thing that is a common barrier is people will miss the taste or texture of those things um and i think 
you know, looking to those alternatives, but also getting excited about plant-based foods that are just delicious on their own. And like the really, you can change your microbiome and you can change what you crave quite quickly. Actually, even within a couple of weeks, you can start craving more fresh foods, greens, berries, all that kind of stuff. So um, I do think taste and texture um, and you know, family history and favorite recipes and comfort can be an issue. Another one that I see, and I'm going to go deep into a stereotype here. It's not always this way, but it often is that a mom will approach me and she is the one who's doing the most cooking for the house. And she is just like, my husband just will not try these foods or my kids won't do it. And she wants to do it, but she's like, I'm tired of spending money on food that doesn't get eaten or I put in all this labor and then no one eats it. Um, so I think that is uh, another potential barrier is that we need to um, remove or try to attack this barrier where masculinity equals meat, mm. right? 100%. You guys are doing a great job. <laughs> that's fantastic. I think that's that's really important um, to have men within the vegan movement standing up and say like, hey, I'm vegan. Being strong is being compassionate, yeah. you know, and you can build muscle and you can be an athlete um, even without eating not just even without, but like you can be optimal. You can excel um, without eating um, animal products. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, there's probably a lot of guys that, you know, identify with like, I do the barbecue and I love meat and meat, meat, more meat. And I think trying to break that down, there's a lot of like vegan athletes and, but I think it can be just like every day day it doesn't have to just be the pro athletes it can be like the everyday dads too who are out there just saying like hey like I feel great I feel strong I'm a man and I'm vegan you know and I think um that's gonna be uh really meaningful too okay I love that yeah, yeah. so good barbecue tofu yes. yeah grill that's great grill, absolutely grill it up yeah um, just one kind of easy takeaway for everyone I saw on your Instagram like a daily five nutrition habits mm -hmm. Um, can you kind of just give like a quick breakdown of those five uh, just for like a nice takeaway for people and then we'll we'll do a couple rapid fires before we, we send All right, you this off. is going to test my memory here, <laughs> but I know it's, it goes with the numbers. So uh, number one is have at least one glass of fortified plant-based milk per day and that is just because it's an easy calcium source it can you can get calcium from plant-based foods but um actually it can be difficult to fully meet your requirement without adding in a glass of fortified plant-based milk or some other kind of supplement so i advocate for one and if it's for kids i would say go for um, a high protein option like pea or soy or there's that new i think it's like almond together with cashew or something but it's fortified with pea protein that's an option too so um, one glass of fortified plant-based um, uh, milk a day two uh, is it two tablespoons of um, nuts or seeds? Is it like some specific thank you? I'm getting this handed to me because like I really appreciate that. And I was right. It's two tablespoons of flax, chia, or hemp seeds each day. Sprinkle those on your smoothies or your salads um, because those are great sources of healthy fats, particularly omega-3s. They're a nice little protein boost. They're delicious. Uh, I love to hide them as well into savory options. So like chili, for example, or 
or a curry or um, anything that's strongly flavored like a bolognese sauce you can put a bit of those into it as well and you're just bumping up your healthy fats there a little bit extra then three supplements that most vegans can benefit from um, definitely the vitamin d definitely the b12 or a really consistent intake of fortified foods and then the third one being um, the omega-3s either really eating lots of plant-based whole food sources like the flax and the chia or adding in an epa dha i should say and because please do both epa dha supplement um eat from all four of the plant-based uh, food groups. We talked about that earlier today, but don't rely only on like fruits or veggies, especially for your kids. You need to get a wide variety from across the plant-based food groups and then reach for at least five servings of fruits and veggies a day. Even Canada's Food Guide, the much maligned Canada's Food Guide, I'm here to stand up for it a little bit, especially the most recent version, the 2019 version, which um, is, you know, a lot more plant friendly. And even there, you'll see that half the plate is fruits and veggies. And that's a recommendation for everyone. If you're listening to this, no matter how you're eating, if you're like trying to eat less meat, but you're not really quite there, but you're trying to eat more plants, or if you're fully vegan, even if you're a person who loves quite a few like junk food vegan <laughs> products, no problem, but make sure you're getting half of your plate from fruits and veggies a day. You're just going to do such a great job of meeting so many of your nutrient needs with those fruits and veggies that you're going to feel so much better. Lots of fiber, lots of antioxidants, lots of vitamins and minerals. Amazing. Awesome. There, there we go. There's <laughs> yes. the takeaway. Yeah. I mean, That's it's so good. The whole conversation is is takeaways, but that's a, a nice little bite size uh, bit yeah. there. Um, we always like to wrap up with a uh, with a few random fire questions just for fun. But uh, I just wanted to express my gratitude for for you taking the time to share all of this with us and our listeners. Uh, you're a wealth of knowledge, and and there's so much that we didn't touch on, but we'd we'd love to have you on again in the future to talk about plant beast based for athletes and all sorts mm -hmm. of other things. Mm -hmm. But thank you for what you do and the space that you hold. It's uh, inspiring and important. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's so kind of you to say. And I'd love to come on again anytime. I love being a podcast guest and you guys have been really lovely to speak to. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Just a few fun ones here. Yeah. Um, we're always interested people that inspire us on, on things that inspire them and, and books are, um, always a source of, of knowledge and inspiration. Is, is there like a book in your life that you've gifted a lot or, or maybe, you know, referred to a lot, whether that's fiction or nonfiction for, for friends, family, clients? I think actually the book that I've probably recommended to other people the most has been uh, Rich Roll's autobiography. I've listened to that one so many times um, when I've been out. When, I don't run as much as I used to. In fact, I rarely run now. I'm really into yoga, but I used to train a lot and I used to listen to that um, over and over again. And I've definitely recommended that to a lot of people, especially if you have someone in your life who has struggled with addiction or trauma. I think there's a lot of which, you know, who among us has not struggled with some kind of traumas, but I think there's a lot of really powerful messages in there. And of course, there's a powerful message of veganism and a really strong, compassionate um, male voice there. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely recommend that book and that book has been very meaningful to me. Awesome. That's awesome. It's I a love good that one. book too. Yeah. <laughs> We're fans. We're ritual fans. Yeah, sure. Yes. <laughs> super, super fan boys over here. Yeah. What's your... Um, go to like 
either like favorite recipe or like comfort meal. He's like, I want to go home and make this. What is it? Well, my kids absolutely love my vegan mac and cheese. So I probably make that one at least once a week. And I love it too. I use sunflower seeds instead of cashews. That's the little spin with mine. And I will say, I think that it translates really well. If you're used to using cashews, I think sunflower seeds work just as well. Make sure you use raw. And um, if your recipe calls for soaking uh, your cashews, then just use one-to-one, use the same amount of um sunflower seeds and uh just soak them as well i actually here is another tip but i don't actually ever soak my nuts or seeds i boil them so when i'm cooking like for a lot of these vegan mac and cheese recipes you can find mine it's great but there's lots of other great ones too they generally call for like a potato a carrot some onion like that's sort of the standard mix and then there's some nutritional yeast and maybe some vinegars and things added for flavor at the end I put those sunflower seeds right in there with the potato and the um, carrot when it's cooking so that they soften up um, at the same time. And then I just use the cooking water and blend right away using that. So I'm all for like all the shortcuts. So um, I use sunflower seeds in my um, Alfredo recipes, my... um, uh mac and cheese and also in some of my curries like my butter chickpeas i use sunflower seeds they're more environmentally friendly they're much cheaper they're around one-fifth the cost of cashews um and there is a human rights issue as well um with cashews that um in a lot of cases they're hand shelled and they have a substance on the inside of the shell that's similar to uh, poison ivy and uh, unfortunately, if the workers are not wearing gloves, which lots of them don't, in order to work more quickly, they can really burn their hands. If you look into it, there's quite a bit of information online. And in some cases, prisoners are forced to do this labor. And so, um, yes, you will avoid being part of that. Not to say never eat cashews again. Um, and there are some more responsible sources of cashews, but um, you avoid that issue by choosing uh, sunflower seeds. That's so good. I was very excited about that one. I'm, I can't do nuts. I'm a right. no, I'm a no nut vegan. So Zach, when we were like, you know, looking looking, he's like, dude, sunflower seed mac yes. and cheese. So I'm very, I haven't tried making it yet, but I'm very excited to oh, give it a go. You'll love it. And uh, yeah, try your curries with sunflower yeah. seeds as well. Um, it's it, yes for any, and it's it's school friendly. Most schools will accept uh, sunflower seeds. You your school may be an exception, but um, it's a school friendly option as That's well. That's amazing. I was shocked on the cashew side too. I traveled Sri Lanka in my early. 20s and there'd be like warning signs by all the cashew trees to like make sure you don't step on any of the the cashews and just seeing how much processing is needed to get the cashew nut out of kind of the 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 shell or the Mm -hmm. casing that they're they grow with um just kind of a fun one um i don't know if you're a tv person or not but um any documentaries or shows you've binged lately i um Am I a TV person? I do like uh, TV. My my daughter Fern and I are watching Queer Eye right now. Nice. Um, which is great. Fern uh, is only 12, but she is identifying, identifying as queer right now. She's still exploring what that means for her. But I think Queer Eye is really great because it's like 
this really comfortable place where she can see some different queer identities being expressed and being celebrated. So that's really fun to watch with her. That's one of my favorites. And I'm a big podcast listener. I used to listen to so many um, podcasts about nutrition. And I have to say, lately I've become like a big true crime podcast listener. I'm just like really <laughs> uh, like looking to podcasts a little bit more for entertainment lately. Mm-hmm. And I've been listening to My Favorite Murder like I'm way back in their back catalog and listening to all of their episodes so they're really fun because they're true crime comedy they don't laugh at the victims of murder but they infuse comedy into their um, podcast they're very funny and I really love their podcast nice awesome. do you ever listen to smart list that's kind of my fun one oh to, no uh, I haven't yeah. listened I've heard that's really good I'll it's, have to check that it's out it's so fun it's like Jason Bateman and Will hmm. Arnett and um, they're just so funny together yeah. and Sean Hayes yeah it's, yeah. a, it's a great Yeah, I've great heard concept. that is really great. I will check it out. One of them brings a guest and the other have no idea. So it's like just this like really cool yeah. kind of dynamic. Yeah. All right, Diener, uh, you want to close her out? Yeah. So again, just an expression of gratitude for you for the work you're doing and um, just how generously you've shared yourself with us um, this morning. And uh, yeah, excited to hear what you have to say at the expo later today as well. But we, uh, Zach and I created this podcast. Um, we called it A Little More Good with the intention of, you know, that's what we wanted to do in the world and see and create and be about. And um, we love just putting it to our guest who's with us and hearing what that means to you, that phrase, a little more good. Yeah, I'll be really authentic in my answer that I think I'm really exploring that question deeply right now. I was raised to very much like follow the golden rule of like do unto others as you would have them do unto you but like that sounds so trite but I was really raised like to really really try and do that and I have sought to really deeply give of myself Um, and I think I've done that I think I really have done that uh, through a lot of my life and I think others who know me would say that I have and yet I think I have learned just in the last few years to also have boundaries around that and I think I'm learning now as I approach my you know 50th birthday I'm learning like how to balance giving of myself versus giving to myself so a little more good for others but a little more good for me too I love that that's so beautiful I think that's something that we can all we can all learn from Mm -hmm. so so thank you Thank you for your time again and, and so excited to see you at Planted Expo today. And, you know, I hope uh, you guys enjoy those vegan donuts that uh, you picked <laughs> yeah. up earlier. And, and, oh, uh, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hit up a few more spots while you're yeah. here for sure. Yes. Yeah. All right. Th- thank you, Dr. Pamela. Thank you. That was it. Thanks for listening to the episode. Yeah, thanks everyone for listening along. Hopefully there were some good takeaways in there for you from Dr. Pamela Ferguson. Again, just so grateful for her. And like I say, um, just means a lot that you listen. Do us a favor and like. And subscribe. And subscribe and uh, rate us. Give us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you so much. And if you're out and about this summer and you're listening to the podcast on the beach, on your bike, on an airplane, somewhere cool, um, feel free to just like tag us. Let us know. We love that. And we'll always just reshare it and everything. Daddy, we just appreciate are you yep. going to listen on this when we're going to Disneyland on the plane? Oh, maybe we'll listen to this on the plane? I'm not. No. What? 
Okay, well, we'll figure out what Naya's going to listen to, what podcast she's going to listen to on the plane. I'm not going to listen to a podcast. Well, what are you going to do? Watch Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. All right, wait. Like the third time. Yeah, we read the book and read the book once and watch the movie a bunch of times. That's the way to go. Well, anyway, thanks everyone for listening. This is Dean and Naya signing off. Peace. Be well, my friends. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 